evening. But number 449 to begin. Let's stand, please. We'll sing all the stanzas together. Complete in Thee. Please remain standing and we'll pray together. Seek the Lord. Our Father, what we have just sung together this evening is a truth in which we greatly rejoice. The very idea that we who once were alienated and strangers to grace empty, dead in trespasses and sins. You've quickened us together in Christ and you've made us to be complete in him. Even as the scriptures say that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then we are complete in Christ, needing nothing else. But all of our sufficiency is found in him. You've given us your word that contains everything that we need for life and godliness. And we pray that in a very practical way, day by day, we would come to understand more and more what it means to be complete in Christ. We pray that you would forgive us for so often seeking to find our satisfaction in the things of this world. We confess them to be broken cisterns that hold no water. And so we pray that tonight, as we come around your word again, that we would know help from heaven. I pray that you would minister to us by your spirit. Pray that even in a gathering, a small gathering, 
you would come and be present with us. We claim the promise of where but two or three are gathered together in your name. You're there in the midst of them. And so speak to us, we ask. Pray for Pastor Wagner as he's away today. We ask that you would bless him, bless Kim. We pray for other faithful ministries across this land where the gospel is preached. We would just simply ask that where your people are gathered together in your name and where there is a stand taken for truth and for righteousness, that your people would know your richest blessing. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And if you do have a favorite hymn, I'll take those. Not everybody all at once. 316-362. Okay. Ted. Six hundred. Uh, sing all of them. I'm that kind of guy. We sing them all. So one more. Anybody else? Two eight. Twenty eight. Okay. So we'll do these in order. Number three hundred and sixty two to begin. Three hundred sixty-two, and we will sing all the stanzas together. Number three hundred sixty-two. Rock of Ages, Now number 641, the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's Lamb, 641.
stand to sing, please, number 28, How Great Thou Art. Standing, please. singing. Please be seated. Again, I want to express my thanks for being able to be with you today to minister the Lord's word. Thank Pastor Wagner for the invitation to come and preach today. And trust we'll know the Lord's presence as we meet again this evening. I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1, please. Colossians chapter 1. Begin our Bible reading just at the very beginning of the chapter, reading through to the end of verse number 23, but beginning the reading in verse 1. Paul 
an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned in Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Amen. We'll end the Bible reading there at the end of verse number 23, and we'll seek the Lord in prayer together, ask his help for the preaching of the word this evening. Let's pray. Our Father, with your word open before us now, we acknowledge this to be indeed a means of grace to us as we have your word ministered to our hearts by your spirit. We ask that you would take it up and use it in a very profitable way for each one here. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In this chapter, if you'll look back at verse number 12, the Apostle Paul begins to outline for us something of uh, the great work of the Trinity in our redemption. He begins by giving thanks to God the Father for the salvation that we have in Christ, that we have been made meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The idea here is that because of the work of Christ 
and His righteousness imputed to us, we are now qualified to be with God. See that we were not qualified to be with God in heaven. We were alienated by wicked works. We were outside of Christ. We were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to grace and to God. But because of the work of Christ, in His perfect righteousness, we have that righteousness imputed to us in the gospel. We are now qualified for heaven. And Paul goes on to list several other aspects of the gospel. If you look at verse number 13, we we see more of what this redemption is that we have in Christ Jesus. Verse 13, we have been delivered from the power of darkness. It used to be that darkness reigned over us. It used to be that we were ensnared by that power of darkness. Verse 13 goes on to give us that beautiful truth of being translated into the dear son. It speaks to us of the adoption that we have in Christ. It used to be that we were of our father, the devil. We used to belong to him. He is our our natural father. But yet we've been snatched away from him, adopted into the family of God. Verse 14 speaks to us of the redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins that we have. To get to the bottom line of it all, every single aspect of our salvation is because of the work of Christ. And verse 15 tells us that Christ is the the image of the invisible God. He is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. This is part of the mystery of the Trinity because Jesus is the Son. He's not the same person as the Father, but yet He is still God. Our catechism explains it for us this way. There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. The mystery of the Trinity. You get to verse 19, and it gives us an explanation. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ, and it pleased, look at the the words of verse number 19, for it, it pleased the Father that in Christ should all fullness dwell. That was something that was pleasing to the Father, that all the fullness of the Father dwelt in Christ. No doubt Pastor Wagner in this church, and, and maybe multiple times, has gone through a series of sermons, or perhaps in the Sunday school classes, a, a series of messages on the attributes of God. God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And it's being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And we learn of the great attributes of, of God. And we often think of that in terms of, well, this is what is true of, of God the Father, that He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. But it pleased the Father that in Christ should all fullness dwell. And so Christ also, as the second person of the Trinity, is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. Every attribute, what is true of the Father in his greatness and his power is true also of the Son. And verse 19 goes on to tell us something else that pleased the Father. Grammatically, verse 19 flows into verse number 20, and what we see in verse number 20 is something that was also pleasing to the Father. It pleased the Father that in Christ should all fullness dwell, and it also pleased the Father that having made peace through the blood of His cross... 
He now has reconciled us to himself. He's reconciled us to himself. These two parties that once were at enmity one with another, we who were haters of God by nature, and God who is described as being angry with the sinner every day, Because of the work of Christ, these two opposed to one another. One, we haters of God, and God in just wrath and vengeance against sin, Christ has come and made peace. He's brought reconciliation. And it pleased the Father for Christ to reconcile us to himself. It pleased God. The fact, the very fact that we have been reconciled to the Father brings him great joy is what this passage teaches us. So this evening I want us to look at verse number 20 at this subject, this theme of the reconciliation that Christ has accomplished for us. The reconciliation that Christ has accomplished for us. And I want you to see, first of all, that reconciliation was God's initiative. Reconciliation was God's initiative. Look at what it says in verse number 20. It pleased the Father to reconcile all things to Himself. This was something that was pleasing to the Father. This is something that was God the Father's initiative. It was accomplished by Christ. It was applied by the Holy Spirit. But if I can put it in these very simple terms for you, this was all God's idea. This is all God's plan. This is all God's initiative. There is no one who rules over him that said, God, this is what you must do. No, this is all God's initiative. This was God's plan. If you have children, children do not by nature want to go and clean their room. And so it is a rare, rare child that of his own or her own initiative will go in and begin to clean the room. At least at my house, that just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. They don't take that initiative because they don't want to do that. Sinners left to themselves have no desire after the things of God. Sinners left to themselves would never come to God. At our youth camp just this past week, one of the preachers, I believe on the the Sunday evening, Sunday evening message, uh, was Pastor Jeff Bannister from our church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And he made a statement that was really very striking. And I think one very striking to the young people. We left to ourselves, we by nature... We love our sin so much that we would hug it all the way to hell. We wouldn't let go of it. We would hug it all the way. We love it. Left to ourselves. We would simply take no initiative to come to God on our own. You think in the scriptures, way back to the book of Genesis... When mankind fell into sin, that was not something that caught God by surprise. Eve did not take a bite of that forbidden fruit, and God all of a sudden throw his hands up and say to himself, what in the world are we going to do now? Now, if we, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, there is no such thing as plan B. Everything is plan A. Everything is plan A. God does his will. His will is perfect. 
And, and when Adam and Eve sinned, well, what did they do? Well, they went and they hid themselves. They went running to the bushes, running to try to cover their own nakedness, cover their own shame. There is none that seeketh after God. You know, we live in a, a church culture here in America. I guess the term is maybe not used quite so much as it used to be, but the, the popular term was a seeker-sensitive church. Church that was sensitive to these people who were coming on this quest and this search for God. Well, there's no such thing. That doesn't exist. Man left to himself is on no search for God. But instead, the hymn that we sing so often really is much more poignant. I sought the Lord, but afterward I knew. He moved my heart to seek Him seeking me. It was not I who found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. Did you seek the Lord? Well, of course you sought the Lord. But who took that initiative? It wasn't you. It was the Lord who sought you out. And the Lord who created life in a dead heart. And life being created in that dead heart, something happened in you. A regenerating work of the grace of God that called you out. In theology, we call it effectual calling. You were called effectually by God to seek Him. And that grace that God displayed in your heart, by a miracle of grace, became something that in your soul was irresistible. You couldn't turn it down. It was something that was presented to you as so beautiful and so necessary to have that you sought for it. I sought the Lord. But only to find out that it was the Lord seeking me who brought me to himself. The Lord brings those in who are his. You read in the scriptures in Psalm number 2. There was a time that God entered into a covenant with Christ. Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for thine inheritance. Ask of me, and I'll give you those to be your people. God entered into a covenant with Christ to reconcile a people to himself. You being reconciled, man being reconciled, is all of God's initiative. This is not the result of Adam and Eve signing a petition and coming and presenting it before the God of heaven. We want to be reconciled with you. No, they went and hid themselves. But God came down. And this initiative that God took with making a covenant with Christ to redeem a people. All of God's idea. Turn with me over a few pages in your Bible where you are to Galatians chapter 4. Look at Galatians chapter 4. This is a passage of scripture you're very, very familiar with. But I want to simply point out a phrase to you that drives home this point. Galatians chapter 4. And look with me at verse number 4. But when the fullness of the time was come... Look at this. God sent forth his son. This is something that God did. This is something that God took the initiative in, in sending forth his son. Made of a woman, made under the law. Why? For the purpose of redeeming them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. This is all in this context of the great reconciliation that we have in Christ. A reconciliation that is the result of the initiative of God himself. God sent forth his son. And then you have John 3.16, for example. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. Again, we have the initiative 
of the God of heaven who gave his only begotten son. And then you look at back at Colossians chapter 1 where we are. And you, verse 21 of Colossians 1, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Again, where is our focus? This is on the work that God has done, the work that Christ has done on the cross in reconciling us to himself. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. We were alienated from God by our sin. We were separated from God by our sin. We didn't have anything to do with God. Naturally left to ourselves, haters of God. But yet God came. And what Jonah tells us so clearly in his prayer in the fish's belly, salvation is of the Lord. It's all of God. It's all of the Lord. It's all his initiative. Secondly, I want you to see that reconciliation is only through Jesus Christ. It's only through Christ. Look at verse number 20 again. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself. You look at verse number 23, the last verse that we read this evening. Verse 23, Paul says in that verse, in the body of his flesh through death. It is Jesus Christ that shed his blood on the cross. In, in his dying on the cross, shedding his blood, that blood that is for our, the remission of our sins. Paul is very careful in the words and the language that he uses, especially as he writes to the Colossian church. If you look at verse number 23, Paul, Paul chooses his words very carefully. There were some in Colossae, there was, there was a heresy that was running rampant in the early church. And, and there was a heresy that believed that anything that was physical was evil. That which is physical, that which is fleshly is evil. And it's only that which is spiritual that is uh, of any good or any value. And this heresy taught that it was the Spirit of Christ that did this reconciliation. This heresy ultimately was a denial of the true humanity of Jesus Christ. That it was God in this spirit form or the Spirit of Christ that accomplished this redemption. But look at what Paul emphasizes here in verse number 23. It is in the body of of his flesh through death. Simply put, Christ cannot be separated from his body. The spirit of Christ and the body of Christ, the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ, these things can't be, can't be driven apart. And this early heresy sought to, to separate these things. And there's a misunderstanding among many of God's people even still today. Where is the body of Christ at this very moment? Where does the body of Christ reside at this moment? It's in heaven. When Christ rose from the dead, he rose bodily. This wasn't just a, a spiritual thing that happened. We're not neo-Orthodox who believe in a spiritual resurrection because it makes us feel better for Jesus to be alive and no longer dead. No, we believe in a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that Christ in the same body that was hung on the cross shed his blood. That same body was put into the tomb. That same body rose again the third day. And then 40 days later, that same body ascended back up into heaven. And tonight it is that same body that is seated at the right hand of the Father with a very clear purpose, to make intercession for us. There is a man in the glory, the God-man seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, we are more than spirit. We are flesh and bone. If, if I can put it this way simply to drive home the point, a ghost 
can't save a human. It is a human that had to die. That's why the blood of bulls and goats or the ashes of an heifer can't cleanse for sin. It's not us. It's not people. You see, God made a promise to Eve that one day she would bring forth a seed. She would bear a son. A son would come through her that would be the Redeemer, the only Redeemer of God's elect, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was made flesh, took to himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, as we were considering that verse a little bit this morning. And it was the shedding of the blood of Christ is through his death on the cross. You look at verse number 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. We have this shown to us in the Old Testament. When Adam and Eve sinned and God came to them, they tried to cover themselves with their own efforts. The, the fruit of their own hands, as it were, with the fig leaves that they had fashioned. But what did God give to them? Coats of skin. You, you skin an animal and blood is shed. We have there the first foreshadowing, the first picture in Scripture of the shedding of the blood of the innocent to cover the shame, the guilt of, of, of the sinner. And then you come to look at Cain and Abel. And they were commanded by God to bring a sacrifice. And Cain came contrary to the commandment of God and brought before God the fruit of his own hands. And his sacrifice was rejected by God. But yet Abel came in faith offering the blood sacrifice and his sacrifice was accepted. Now this is something we have to understand uh, scripture by scripture, how did Cain and Abel know what to sacrifice? Well, Abel, by faith, offered up a sacrifice. Some, we're not told in scripture how or, or, or when God communicated to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and whoever else was born at the time, how or what to sacrifice. But we do learn in Scripture that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And the Word of God came to them at, at some point, telling them what it was they were to sacrifice. And Abel, by faith, believing God, came and offered the sacrifice of blood. It is peace that is made through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of stone... He didn't make peace. When the children of Israel made the golden calf in the wilderness, that didn't make peace. When King Saul in the Old Testament uh, saved the best of the animals from the Amalekites and, and, and sought to offer a great sacrifice, he didn't make peace. The Apostle Paul in his life when he tried so hard and, and so carefully to obey every single commandment of God, he didn't find any peace. But it was only when he was brought to Christ and saw the peace that is found in him, the reconciliation that is found in Christ, that Paul had any peace in his own heart. And I trust you this evening has found, have found that peace yourself in your own soul. In Christ, there is full reconciliation. I don't know if you've ever struggled under this particular point, but in Christ, there is full reconciliation. And what I want to emphasize is that when you are saved, you're not put on probation. It's not that you're saved and, and, and in the first two or three years of, of your conversion, you have to prove something to God for him to, to keep you reconciled. 
You know, you may be, be hired on at, at some firm or, or hired on to some job with the understanding that we're going to hire you and you're on a probationary period for six months and if, if you prove to be a good worker, you're, 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 hire, you're hired on officially as part of this company, but you're on probation until then. No, that's not the way our conversion works with Christ. You don't have to prove that you are good enough to the God of heaven. You're reconciled. But how many labor under that? How many would come to a Wednesday night prayer meeting, for example, and sit and listen to others pray, laboring under the, the fact, or it's not a fact, but laboring under what they believe to be a fact. I'm not good enough to pray publicly. I'm not good enough to seek the Lord. Or maybe it works out this way where you have prayed, but Monday, you lost your temper. You flew off the handle. And you feel bad about it. You, you, you're sorry, you, you, you've asked the Lord to forgive you, you've gone to the person, you've asked for forgiveness, all that's taken care of, but here you are Wednesday night, and what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Satan reminds you. <laughs> you remember what you did on Monday? You shouldn't pray this week. Wait till next week, and, and maybe you won't sin next week, and then you can pray. And we have all these, it's a lie, right? It's a lie of the devil. You're not good enough. No, we're reconciled. We have peace. If we wait until we're good enough, oh my goodness, we'd never come. You'd never pray. If you had to be good enough to pray, you'd never pray. You have to be good enough to serve the Lord, you'd never serve the Lord. My wife had opportunity a while back to counsel a young lady who was called upon to, to do a service for the Lord, and she was, she was scared. She, she perceived this responsibility to be too big for her. And, and, and her, her attitude and her perception was, I can't do this. I can't do what I've been asked to do, so I'm going to say no. I'm, I'm going to turn this opportunity down. And my wife very wisely told her that what the Lord calls us to do, he equips us to do. And if the Lord only used instruments who were qualified, well, he'd never use any of us. He'd never use any of us for anything. But no, it's because of Christ, and it's only because of Christ that we've been reconciled to the Father. And we've been made useful. And that leads me to the third thing, the last thing I want us to consider this evening. And that is that reconciliation gives us a clean standing before God. A clean standing before God. We're justified. Our sins have been forgiven and we are, we are complete in him. We have a clean standing before God. All of our sins have been washed away. An imputation, it's not that just our sins have been removed and we have a blank slate. I don't mean that we have a clean standing before God in that sense. I grew up with that kind of gospel preaching. That when the Lord saves you, he takes away all your sins, gives you a good heavenly pat on the back, go out and do your best for the kingdom. Well, no, that's not really the, the, the fullness of the gospel. Our sins are taken away, yes. But yet every single perfect righteous act of God is put on our account. I've often likened it to a I use a whiteboard now because people don't know what a chalkboard is. But I liken it to a whiteboard, right? So you were born, and at the top of your whiteboard it said, original sin. So we're guilty. Original sin. And then I threw my food across the room. 
and I said no to my mommy, and I, I hit my brother, and in all these sins, I've got a big whiteboard, right? All these sins written everywhere on it, all the bad things that I've ever done, all written down. And it used to be that salvation was, was presented to me in, in that when, when you're saved, God takes an eraser and he just erases all those sins. Clean slate, clean whiteboard. Off you go. But that's not the fullness of the gospel. Yes, all my sins are, are erased. But then God begins to write every single perfect righteous act of Christ to such a degree that if we can keep the illustration, right, illustrations only illustrate, so don't, you take it to the logical conclusion and you miss the point. But God takes his dry erase marker and, and every single nook and cranny of that whiteboard is now consumed with the perfect righteousness of Christ. There's no room left for me to add anything to it. Right? It's nothing that I have done. And so when I say reconciliation gives us a clean standing before God, Please don't think I mean that you, God just wipes away your sins and it's left for you to, to fill it up with righteousness. No, but I, I take it from what the Bible tells us in verse number 22. And, and these are words that you would never have the audacity to say. You would be proud and presumptuous to come up with such a thing on your own. But we're presented, look at this, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. I say, you would never have the audacity to say such a thing. That you're presented before the God of heaven as holy and unblameable and unreprovable. In his sight. Unbelievable. That God has taken we who were enemies, who were unholy in every way, taken us who were blamable in every way, taking us who deserved to be reproved in every way, and has changed us to such a way that we are now wholly unblameable and unreprovable. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. In your justification, your sins were taken away and imputed to Christ. And his perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience was imputed to you. So now you stand before God. What, what does McShane say in his, in his, in his hymn? Clothed. In beauty, not my own. We're not, we don't come to God with our own dress. But it's just like that from Zechariah chapter 3. The Lord says, take away the filthy garments and give him a change of raiment. And we now are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. That means that when God sees you, if you're born again, when God sees you, he sees you in Christ. You are accepted in Christ. You're accepted in the beloved. It was your sin that kept you alienated from God, but it's the work of Christ that has forgiven your sin, given you the perfect righteousness of Christ, and now you are accepted in him. That gives us all the confidence in the world. All the confidence in the world to come. This is why Paul, in Hebrews, can say, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Not timidly. Not shy. Hoping that maybe God will hear. No. You come in Christ. You come as one adopted into the family of God. You come completely and perfectly accepted because of what Christ has done for us. 
And it's all because of this reconciliation that we have in him. Verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself. And we're part of that. If you're born again, you're part of that. You've been reconciled to God. We who once were enemies have been brought nigh into full fellowship and full communion with the God of heaven. And may the Lord encourage our hearts as we meditate on this truth this week. Amen. Let's pray and seek the Lord as we close tonight. Our Father, we do thank you for the so great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have reconciled us by the work of Christ. It's nothing in our hands we bring, but as the hymn tells us simply, to thy cross we cling. We pray that you'll help us in this week that's before us with all the different responsibilities of life, all the different demands that we face, family demands, work demands, all the different struggles that we go through, those uh, things that we pray for and we plead with you with to do. We pray that you would meet each one of us just at that place of our need, provide for us what we need, encourage us where we need it, We pray that you'll continue to guide us along the way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.